GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand. Thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Kellyanne Borch. Now, if you're a young family struggling in this cost of living crisis, Stephanie Yeo from charity CareLink tells us how they can help. How fast can you cycle up the rock? Stuart Headley launches a new time trial challenge. We'll also hear from some excited new homeowners at Hassan Centenary Terraces. Mary Berry breaks the buytickers.gi site. Tickets for her second date at the Literary Festival sell out, but after the site crashes due to demand. But first, our top story of the day. An ongoing police investigation sees a serving police inspector and two former officers that have been arrested on suspicion of various offences. News editor Christine Vasquez tells us more. So what, what, there are a lot of things that we don't know. We'll talk about the things that we do know. There was a lot of noticeable police activity last night. Um, and we do know that following the arrest of the three, the three men were taken to Newmole House for questioning. They have been, they are now out on bail until the new year. So those um, arrests as part of an ongoing police operation. Yesterday, a serving RGP officer, 34 years old, um, we understand that he is a police inspector. He was arrested on suspicion of misconduct in public office, attempting to pervert the course of justice and in connection with unauthorised access to computer material. What's interesting and that we've learned today as part of the new details released is that the other two arrests are part of a separate investigation. So that's a former police officer, 38 years old. He's been arrested on suspicion of breach of the Official Secrets Act, misconduct in public office, unauthorised access to computer material and breach of the Data Protection Act. Um, Later yesterday afternoon, a second former officer, he was 36, he's 36 years old, was arrested on suspicion of breach of the Official Secrets Act, unauthorised access to computer material, attempting to pervert the course of justice and breach of the Data Protection Act. We don't know what these investigations are linked to. We had a similar story in July this year when they arrested a serving police officer and a former officer as well. Those arrests were linked to investigations around the McGrail inquiry. Not part of the inquiry, but linked to investigations surrounding the McGrail inquiry. No such link has been made in the case of these arrests yet. Well, have you recently got keys to a flat in Hassan Centenary Terraces? Or perhaps you know someone who has? Well, Shalina Asamal has been down at the new estate over the last couple of days speaking to those who have just got their keys. She joins me now. Good afternoon. Hello, Kelly. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's an exciting time mm-hmm. for homeowners. Uh, everyone's getting their keys and uh, um, the other three blocks of Hassan Centenary Terraces, which are still going up, as a lot of people will be able to see, uh, those are going to be done in 2025. So right now we're talking about blocks four, five and six, getting their keys, very busy around there. And uh, everyone's hoping they can maybe get in in time for Christmas. <laughs> that might be a bit ambitious. Yeah, okay, speaking from experience. Well, I don't know, it's just in terms of like construction works, it, everything yeah, always takes longer than you course. anticipate. But yes. fingers crossed, I, ho- I hope for their sakes that they are, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I did want to ask you about your experience, um, but a few more details for some of the listeners. Um, category 1 purchasers got their key first. Those are people who have a government home already. Uh, so they've been allowed in so that they can fix up that property before releasing their government flat. We did, of course, hear the government speak a lot about freeing up um, those flats once these came up so uh, it seems that that's 
that is happening now. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, you're dubious whether people can get in in time for <laughs> well, Christmas. I, ho- I hope that they, they can. But yeah, I would certainly say from personal experience yes. when it comes to stress, I think I remember reading at the time, I and mean, it was seven years ago when I moved into our home, but reading at the time that it was up there in terms of grieving for a loved one, divorce, like all the really stressful things you can do in life. Moving house is certainly ranks it's somewhere at the, to- at the top we're there because it is just kind of... Um, yeah, it's just everything is uprooted, isn't it? And Absolutely. you want to make your home as comfortable as possible. So a lot rides on it. Yeah, well, I did actually... But it is look- worth it. For those stressing at the moment, it is worth it once you're in that home. <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom, no. guys. Uh, yeah, I did want to ask you how, how you found it in the end, Kelly, because you've actually been through this process. I've been speaking to people about over the last few days. Well, where did it rank for you? Definitely very stressful. But let's hear, we don't have too much time, so let's hear from <laughs> some of those that you spoke to. So we've been renting for the past four years. It's the uncertainty for the last four years has been like uh, unsettling, you know, with Brexit and not having your own home. And now finally we have our own home. It's, I think it's going to be great for, for us and for, for my wife as well. And uh, now we're dealing with all the contractors, get, getting them in, uh, doing the final measurements and then ordering all the stuff so that they arrive soon. And uh, hopefully we'll be in just after Christmas because it's quite a long process. The house is empty. We need to uh, arrange it for the flooring and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a really long process and looking forward to it. I'm really, really happy. Um, the, the, the actual flats themselves are our amazing finish. Really, really good. A few minor issues, which is always the case when it's a new build. But uh, size have done a really really good job so they've made loads of people happy and especially me i've already got all my floors in they're doing my um wardrobes fitted wardrobes and my kitchen within the next few days so that should be up and running within uh, you know i I should be able to start moving in about two weeks three weeks i was still living with my parents and it was a matter of can i wait that long can i wait four years no and just live at home but it was a bit too much for me and i had to go and rent so it was a bit hectic it was definitely difficult um to find a rental that was affordable it was really difficult and just to find a rental that was you know that fits in with us no as well and no yeah it was definitely stressful paying the installments the rent it was very difficult but i would say it was 100 percent worth it i just couldn't live at home anymore my sister's in the same position that she doesn't live at home anymore she's got um bob belisa and she's had to find someone to rent as well but that was incredibly stressful she couldn't find anything and just the open market as well is just so expensive and these houses are just you know so worth it the the space that you have the the balconies that they offer the price it's i think it's worth waiting for but it definitely hasn't been it's been a stressful period i'm comfortable where i am but at the same time there's nothing like uh, being you know um, more independent having your own home and sort of uh I'm getting used to that sort of life where you don't have to depend on, on parents, on family members, etc. So, um, so yeah, like I said, super excited and, and I can't wait to, to move in. Trying to move in all the furniture, trying to get people in to do different sort of works, whether it's to do with you know cables, electronics, uh, furniture, setting up the furniture, bringing it over from Spain or, or from, from Jib. So a lot of talk about difficulties renting prior to getting their new places. Uh, one girl told us in uh, two years alone she'd actually spent £24,000 in rent. Um, so for Staggering many, amounts. Staggering, yes, mm-hmm. it is upsetting when you hear that number. So for many of those people who were in that sort of limbo, uh, this is finally the start of some stability for them. So, uh, so very exciting All the moment. best to them.
Do you have a young family and are struggling through this cost of living crisis? Or perhaps you're expecting but worried about how you'll cope financially once the baby is here? Well, the CareLink Trust is a charity that aims to support women and young families needing the extra help and support when faced with a crisis or unplanned pregnancy. And the charity Stephanie O joins me now. Welcome to the studio, Stephanie. Thank you for coming in. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, so tell me, how does the CareLink support families in need in Gibraltar? Well, we can support in a number of ways. Um, firstly, even before if there is an unexpected pregnancy, a crisis pregnancy, or just going through hard times, um, even before the baby is born, we can provide all the items which are so expensive nowadays, things like cots, baths, clothing, um, anything to obviously any family expecting will be worried about these things if you know ex- with the expense of everything that there is nowadays and so it gives them peace of mind that we can provide these things before the babies even come so at least they can start off with some peace of mind and then once the baby is is born we can continue we continue we give nappies and um, formula milk um, whatever really is needed that they help them along with their family and these aren't even luxury items. These are just the basics that one needs to, to raise a child and be ready for, for that baby once they arrive. Exactly. It's the basic necessities. And they're so expensive. Very, very expensive. You're talking about prams can be in the hundreds and even over a thousand pounds for a, for a decent pram. And the thing is, we are so blessed here in Gibraltar that we get given and donated such wonderful items. I mean, prams, cots, things like that, which are really good items, good value, you know, good um, quality um, and in very good condition. So, yes, it may be secondhand, but we make sure that everything that we give out is in a decent condition so that it can be used and enjoyed by another family. What about in terms of emotional support? Does a charity offer, uh, because parenthood is difficult at the best of times, never mind when you do have those financial worries as well. So I suppose it, by donating and supporting them, that's also um, a help to, to people's mental health as well. Well, yes, definitely. Um, we'll walk alongside a single mum or family, um, whomever needs it. If there is someone here who is on their own and they're going to have to go in and have the um, birth on their own, we'll be a birthing partner. I mean, we're not professionals at some of these things, but, you know, when you go in as a birthing partner, you don't have to be a professional, but we are all mums or grandmothers and that, and we've walked that walk. And so it's here to support, to build. There is a saying that it takes a community to a yeah, village to bring up a child and we truly believe in that that you know we're all here to help out and to walk alongside especially if it's a young mum who's unsure and insecure well there's advice that we can give there's help that can be given not just the um, financial side but also in the emotional side as well the whole it takes a village analogy i've heard from a lot of young parents even quite recently that even though gibraltar is a very close-knit community and we all um, you know we all live in harmony together but it, people, parents in particular, do sometimes feel very alone, even though we all live very close together. It's not like perhaps um, older generations who used to be closer to neighbours, who used to live perhaps with, with sisters or grandparents and the family unit was more together. So do you find that you are finding um, more parents coming to the charity saying that they're feeling very alone on this journey? 
Yes, there are people who are struggling on all different levels. And yes, with people working and now, whereas normally, as you say, one family member would be at home and the other one would be working now with both family members working and things like that. It, they need to, obviously, because they need the finances, but it does put a strain on the family home. So we are here to help and support with anything like that, with counselling if needs be. Um, we can get in contact with certain people, obviously. Um, and also we're here, not just, you know, people can contact us whenever, but also through the care agency, through the social services, um, through the health, um, GHA can contact us as well because we are putting our, you know, our info out there all over the place so that people can come um, whether it, when there is a need, it needs to be filled and it needs to be looked after. We've just had a message in from John. He says regarding helping young families, sadly, good condition prams, etc. are sometimes seen thrown away as rubbish. So what would you have to say to families who might be thinking, oh, I've got all these things I don't need anymore. I'm just going to throw them away. Please don't. Please don't. I will say there is the trouble of space and we only have a certain amount of space. But if I don't have the space, we do actually outsource as well. And I tell the families that donate to us, if we have too much of something to Spain, there is a church in Algeciras that we work alongside. There are a lot of mums and families in need there. So we keep what we get, what we need. And if there is extra stuff, it doesn't need to be thrown away. It will and can be used. It will never go to waste. Never go to waste. There is always a family in need. How many years has a charity now been established, Stephanie? It established in 2018 um, at a difficult time when the um, referendum was on. Um, unfortunately, it was pulled in by that. But the charity was established because it's not about the political. It's not, it wasn't about the referendum. It wasn't. We all got kind of sidetracked with that. This is about hands and feet on the ground to give people the ability to be able to make the choice to have their child when things are difficult and they always are expensive with something like bring up a child we're not oblivious to that but they need to have the choice to be able to make the choice of having that child and to be able to bring them up um, with all the items that are needed and that's what we're here to give them that second choice of um, providing the financial support with items, with food, with whatever it needs. In terms of the cost of living crisis, have you seen over the last couple of years in particular more families approach the charity for help? Definitely, definitely. Um, with things, not just families approaching us per se, but even, I don't know, many of the families that we help out because it comes through the care agency, family centre and that. Um, and there we just provide, but nappies, formula, or things like that. Um, there isn't a week I don't go into Morrison's um, to do some sort of shop for some family that is in need. As I say, many I don't know. I'm just blessed to be able to, to know that I can help out and that that's what we're here for. Um, so definitely there has, with the cost of living crisis, it is being seen in families and families that maybe before you wouldn't think of that would have difficulties or would need support and that you think that they're fine. Um, no, a lot of people are struggling. People who normally wouldn't be, they are. It's affecting everyone. Very I mean, um, would you say that formula and nappies are perhaps two of the items that are most in need? Formula, nappies, wipes, clothing, all things like that. Obviously, the thing was with formula and nappies and that, we buy there and then as, as needed because we just don't have the place to store everything like that. But the clothing, clothing we give out for newborn babies, you know, with the baby grows, the clothing, the blankets, the cots, the um, towels, all these type of things. So we have a stock of everything. We keep what we don't keep, like formula, which goes out of date, things like that. We go and buy them. 
um, when whenever needed. I mean, I can speak from personal experience. My son is two years old and the cost of nappies and formula, um, I mean, it's practically doubled in some cases. It's, it's pretty frightening when you see those price tags when you go to the supermarket now. Well, yes. I mean, that's why, I mean, one of the things that we do ask people is for donations, um, donations, because obviously clothing and all of things like that we have and all that. But when people do need the food and we take up, we We'll help to any age, but we keep stock of things up to five years old, like clothing and that up to five years old, because we just can't put away for everybody. We link up with other charities for from five years upwards um, and we work together. Um, but up to five years old, um, there's so much stuff that is needed and the prices and the nappies and all of that. So we ask for donations. We ask for people because... As I say, every week I'm in Morrison's really buying some stuff. And we even sometimes we have done food shops. It's not kind of like one of the things that we mainly do, but we have done food shops when there is a need and there has been needs for that. Um, So it is quite sad to see, but it is a blessing to be able to help. In terms of um, the birthing partner offering that you guys do, is there much demand for that? Do women come forward and say that they need that extra support in the labour room? No, we haven't seen that so far. But it's the offer there. is there. The offer is there and it is there. And as I say, um, I think because, as we said before, Gibraltar being a small place and quite a close-knit community, generally everyone has a family member or someone who can be there with them. But if there is someone who, for whatever reason, doesn't have anyone, no one has to walk this journey on their own. We're all here and we can help out. You mentioned as well the the care agency, the GAH Chaser. How do you guys collaborate with other charities and entities in Gibraltar? How do you all work together? With other charities, since we started, what we kind of like, we based it down on that we would do, as I've already said, children up to five years old, because space is such a premium in Gibraltar. The hub that we have, which is in Alameda Estate, it's quite small. It's, it's ample enough for us, but we do have to take care of. So we do up to five years old. And so that takes up a lot of clothing, a lot of space and all things like that. All the bulky stuff like that we've said, the prams, the cots and the baths and all that type of thing. And then we link up with other charities like um, Rosanna from the Jewel Book. I mean, she's a fantastic woman who has been doing this for years. She does from five years upwards and her charity and all her women, they're wonderful, do them. There's also the Evie Foundation with Nicole. If there's something that we don't have and maybe someone needs a piece of furniture for the baby's room or something like that, we'll contact Nicole, see if she has something. And then also... The social services, the GHA, the care agency, they have our contacts. I'm in contact with a care agency down in Mid Harbours um, nearly weekly. They know how to contact us. They know just to tell us what it is that they need. And so we can help provide. And if we don't have it, we will find it or outsource it. And for anyone who's listening to this and wants to donate or wants to get involved or wants to ask for help, you also have a Facebook page, right? So is that a good way to, to contact you? The Facebook page is fantastic. Um, you can go on there. It'll give has all our details. It has our phone number. It has, if you want to donate, either a one-off or maybe a standing order to do a monthly donation. That would be fantastic. Um, the best way, if you want something to get in contact with me, is get the phone number and WhatsApp me. That is, I will answer you sooner, uh, sooner rather than later with the WhatsApp. So that is the best, best way Lovely. to contact me personally. Thank you so much. Stephanie, you're from CareLink for coming in today to tell us more about the the work you you guys do in your brilliant charity. 
Well, today might not be the weather for it, but how fast could you cycle to the top of the rock? A new time trial is challenging cyclists to test how long it takes them. And uh, we're finding out more now from e-bike Stuart Headley. Good afternoon, Stuart. Thanks for coming in. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me. So, Stuart, stunning sunrise this morning. I imagine that was quite the beautiful cycle for you. Yes. uh, Yeah, we kicked off uh, this morning um, with a sunrise ride, leaving the lighthouse at Europa Point uh, around 7.30. And as you were saying earlier, the sky looked like it was on fire. So really rewarded uh, by this morning's view. Great success then for the first morning cycle. What kind of response did you have? Well, um, the idea is that everybody can do the time time challenge in their own time. So uh, there's no specific uh, day or uh, time for the event. Um, People record their times on Strava. They submit them to us and we're literally just maintaining the leaderboard. So it's a very inclusive uh, type of event, which we hope will encourage uh, new cyclists uh, in Gibraltar and will unite the whole cycling community. You know, there's hundreds of people here on bikes. Um, a lot of them go into Spain, obviously, for for their uh, exercise. Um, but uh, we've got the rock right here, which is an amazing little climb. Uh, I was going to say, it's a climb. <laughs> those, those hills might be a bit intimidating, no, for some? Yes, um, you know, it's all but the very competitive cyclists, I would say, who are doing it on a non-electric bike. But we do have the electric bike now um, that... Uh, uh, makes it possible for everybody. And of course, that makes a big difference. So uh, because this is a competition, isn't it? Although some people can can take it a bit more casually, a bit more for fun, there is a competitive angle to it too. You know, there are some very competitive people in Gibraltar. Are you one of them? <laughs> no, no, not specifically. I just had to be the first, you know. <laughs> so so we've got uh, names already on the leaderboard. Uh, we're hoping to publish those online uh, this afternoon. It'll be updated monthly. And uh, yes, it is it is all about the fun, but, um, but it's a leaderboard, so there's going to be competition there. So what happens when someone's using an e-bike instead of a normal bike and their times are faster? Is that taken into consideration? Absolutely. So there's eight different groups of leaderboards and 13 categories in each group. So we've got uh, electric and non-electric, male, female, and then uh, a whole load of different age categories, weight categories and bikes. That's really well organised. I wouldn't have realised there were so many different categories to cyclists on the rock. I didn't realise either. (laughs) This went out to um, the ex-president of the Cycle Association, Chris Nunez, who's helped us put all of this together. What about in terms of the route? Talk us through it. So starting from the little roundabout there at Europa Point Lighthouse, um, we go all the way to the gate of O'Hara's Battery via Windmill Hill. So it's the same route for everybody. Um, It is uh, four kilometres. Well, it was 3.9 for me this morning. Um, And it took around 15 minutes. I have to add that was electric. E-bike. And you are uh, obviously a very experienced, avid cyclist. So that should have worked in your (laughs) favour. I hadn't trained for the event yet. This is something that I'll probably do uh, a little bit more often now and see how times improve. Um, And it's a good gauge for people. You know, they they like to uh, improve their times and get fitter. Hopefully it'll get people off the couch um, and just give them something to aim for. 
is now, Stuart, the best time to launch a comp- uh, <laughs> competition like this, given that we are heading into the rainier months? Well, you know, um, we never let the weather get us down. Uh, it's, I have to say, uh, today it might be gale force winds, so we don't <laughs> want to encourage people to maybe take on the challenge this afternoon. Exactly. Yeah. So um, people are free to do it when they want, but they are advised uh, accordingly. To yeah. check the weather forecast first. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, there is also, um, I mean, there are prizes up for grabs, right? This isn't just some like fun competition. There's an incentive here. Yeah, we like to incentivize people. So um, we like to get people, as many people as possible, to try the electric bike. So um, every entrant, monthly entrant, will enter into a prize draw. Um, and there's the opportunity to win rental of e-bikes uh, for two people for a day. And it just gives people the opportunity to introduce their friends to cycling. Um, and of course, the uh, Rock to the Top t-shirt uh, well, maybe look at trying to get a yellow jersey um, for everyone who, uh, who wins over the month. More generally, Stuart, uh, we do have a new transport minister. What are you hoping the future of cycling is going to look like on, on, in Gibraltar? In terms of our cycle lanes. Yeah, um, encouraged to see uh, John Cortez as uh, the minister now for transport um, because obviously he is our environment minister and the two go so well hand in hand. Um, well, the man- manifesto is already there from the GSLP. Uh, there's been a huge commitment to cycle lanes that uh, started, obviously, Minister Bal. Ex-Minister Balban um, did an amazing job of getting this uh, this network started, and I believe the party are committed to to continue it. I know they are looking for suggestions at the moment. Um, it's a wonderful way of encouraging uh, active transport in the community, um, and you know the idea is more people on bicycles means less people on cars and and in on motorbikes and in cars. So, which what we're really trying to achieve is uh, less congestion, less pollution, something that will benefit the entire community. I mean, it does seem to be a controversial topic, doesn't it, the cycle lanes? It seems to be quite divisive. You either have people who are very pro or very anti. Uh, So what would you say to the naysayers? I'm not sure what the thought line is with the people who don't want to see children cycling to school, who don't want to see less cars on the road who don't want to see less motorbikes on the road, who don't want better quality of air. You know, uh, I I, I haven't really heard a decent argument to suggest uh, why we don't want more cycle lanes. You know, um, okay, so we do need to repurpose some of the road. There might be less on-street parking, but that parking will be, you know, transplanted somewhere else. So um, really, uh, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one to understand. Um, If someone can explain to me why they don't want all of those positive benefits for the community, I'm all ears. Perhaps we can get someone on the opposite side to you next time you're in the studio and we'll have a a proper debate about it. That would be great. (laughs) Stuart, moving swiftly on from cycling into uh, your Buddy the Elf character. Before you leave, (laughs) I just need to ask you, because last Christmas you did such a wonderful job fundraising for the Open Day. Um, Some might be thinking, oh, that's where I know him from. He's Buddy the Elf. And you cycled all around Gibraltar in your tights and your elf costume uh, for days on end. So can we expect to see a a return of Buddy the Elf this year? I'm not going to say no. We want to try and do something different. We certainly want to be fundraising again for the excellent uh, GBC Open Day uh, and EV Foundation, who do, do so much hard work um, and benefit so many people throughout the year, not just at Christmas. So let's see. Let's see. The uh, the outfits are still there. Um, they're freshly pressed from last year's uh, exploits. So let's see how we go.
Watch this space. Indeed. An 88-year-old baker has broken the internet. All that needs is a nice dollop of jam. That is absolutely beautiful. It's creamy. It's piping hot. It's scrumptious. And I want some more. Demand for tickets to see baking sensation Dame Mary Berry at the Literary Festival has quite literally broken by tickets.gi. It has been fixed now, though. But over 2,000 requests for tickets for that show, that second talk by the former judge of the BBC's Great British Bake Off, went on sale this morning after the first batch of tickets sold out within minutes. Well, demand was such that the website did crash at 10am. It took about an hour to get back up and running with tickets then selling out. And it was nail-biting stuff for fan Andrea, who was keen to grab some tickets after missing out the first time round. So we were ready at 9.59 with the website ready. We refreshed at 10am and the crash was like broken. It was um, not working because there were so many people on it. Eventually, two of my friends were on the website at the same time and it would say the position. One of them was in position 40 and the other one was in position 17. And then eventually they managed to get tickets. So we were lucky to get them. Andrea finally getting those uh, much-anticipated tickets. This is what Jordan Lopez from buytickets.gi had to say about it. The success of the event has been tremendous. I mean, it's been completely unprecedented. I think the level of, uh, of demand that there is for the event. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to deal with the traffic for that event um, at best the best way, uh, peaking as 2,000 requests for tickets at 10 a.m. this morning. And due to a series of technical failings, uh, we weren't able to, to deal with that properly. And, uh, and obviously, we, people weren't able to buy tickets for that at the time that we said. Um, we're really sorry for that. And uh, we will be taking steps as soon as possible to, to deal with that, which we have done already uh, this morning. Um, however, Mary has proved extremely popular and is uh, really comparable to some of the other big events that we've uh, sold, like the Shelley concert a few years back or, or Jimmy Carr, you know, when uh, he came the first time in 2019, which I think peaked at 3,000. 500 requests for tickets so um 2000 requests this morning for mary berry was uh, pretty exceptional uh, and we're really really sorry that we weren't able to deal with this um the best way possible um but we we have definitely learned uh, from it and we hope to take steps to for it not to happen again the voice of Jordan Lopez from buytickets.gi reacting to the crazy demand for Dame Mary Berry tickets at the Literary Festival, which did lead to the site crashing for about an hour or so this morning. If you did manage to get those tickets, so congratulations, enjoy. Uh, the festival starts on Friday the 17th, so not too long to wait. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2 getting behind the headlines and you can catch up here whenever you like until next time have a good one gbc podcasts local voices on demand